Um, we're looking at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Andrew started this off last week and we're going to read the second half of this chapter today. Andrew very nicely explained the situation of Paul in writing this letter to the church in Corinth and um, this passage really relates to one of the problems Paul was having with some of the Christians. It was a, a Gentile church, but there were Jewish Christians in that church. And that was causing a bit of an issue, which we'll, we'll see in a minute, about uh, holding on to things. So he wrote these verses. So we'll read from verse 7 of chapter 3, if you have a Bible. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, translated though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with a surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil of his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for in this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I don't know about you, if, if you've been somewhere, um, and you try to explain to someone else, um, it's quite hard sometimes to to exactly represent what you've even been for a nice meal or you've been to a nice place and you, you really enjoyed it and you're trying to express it to someone else. It's not always easy. I, I'm a man of few words. Pam makes up for me. Um, but <laughs> but and I don't you know, I don't know these big words. I mean I learned today that I thought we were singing verses, but apparently we're singing stanzas. That's good. That's a big word that I'd learned today. That's good to have these big words, but I don't have them. So I had difficulty in expressing myself to people and explaining how good the meal was or how good a place was. So when it comes to expressing the glory of God, I find it extremely difficult to try and express what the glory of God means. People have tried all sorts of ways of expressing it. Artists have painted masterpieces to try to portray the glory of God. And it only goes a minute way towards reflecting that glory to us. We went to see uh, the Messiah. I mean, we're sort of slightly above the rest of you in, in the kind of places that we go, you know. It's, it's a, a posh place to go. And we saw this, I'm joking, we saw this Messiah, and it was a musical portrayal based on the um, birth and life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But again, in trying to portray the glory of God, it only minutely, it was a wonderful performance, but only minutely expresses that to us. Hundreds of books have been written 
trying to explain the glory of God. And again, they go some way towards that, but it's tiny compared with what the glory of God is. So I have a very difficult task of explaining that. I'm not going to try to, but the Bible does in some ways. Some people in the Bible try to express what the glory of God is. I want to just turn to two or three. There's one in Ezekiel. If you turn to Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 26. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from these there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. It's, it's a pretty graphic picture that Ezekiel's painting of this man that he sees, like he's on fire, he's ablaze from top to toe. And then he says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So there's a small picture of what the glory of the Lord was like. And then in Exodus, it's referred to in a passage that talks about Moses. In Exodus chapter 33, and we have the incident of Moses, or the Israelites, um, and Moses at the mountain. It says in verse 18, this is Moses talking to God. It said, Moses said, now show me your glory, verse 18 of 33. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Moses asked the direct question, I want to see your glory. I want to see what it's like. And God replies and says, no one can see that. Now, it's not that the glory of God is a bad thing. The glory of God is a great thing. But the glory of God is so pure and so perfect that anybody coming in with sin into his presence would be destroyed. They could not live in the presence of the glory of God. And he explains that to Moses. You couldn't, that's why he said, you're going to have a, just a glimpse of me, but you cannot see me because the glory of God is too much for you. And then we have it just a third and final one is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12. Again, it's talking about God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand, marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? If you try, if you go to the tap and pour water into your hands and see how much you can hold, very little stays in your hands. Here's a picture of God holding all the waters of the earth in his hands. It just gives us some idea of the magnitude of God, of his greatness, his power, his majesty. But again, none of these 
descriptions fully explain the glory of God. We only see in a part of a way that we attempt to define it, but we're struggling to do that. And Paul, in this passage here, he is now taking the glory of God. He's saying, I want to compare the glory of God that we've read about under the old covenant and compare it with the glory of God under the new covenant. Right? And he does it in three ways. They're spelt out in these verses. First of all, he talks about the ministry of death. He said, the old covenant is like the ministry of death. Moses came down from the mountain. His face reflected the glory of God. It shone. And the law was good. It was glorious. But the law was limited. In Galatians it tells us the law could not save us. The law cannot give us righteousness. The law cannot give us the Holy Spirit. The law cannot give us eternal life. The law is there, but it cannot save us. It only brings death. It's a glorious, it's come from God and it's there for a purpose, but it only brings death. And Paul is saying, how much more glorious is the glory that comes from the... Sorry, for the ministry of life, the ministry of the Spirit. How much more glorious is that glory? And then he says, there's also the ministry of condemnation compared with the ministry of life. The ministry of condemnation is what's spelled out in the law. The law is a mirror for us to look in. And when we look in that mirror, we see what we are like. Some of us don't look, want to look in mirrors, but it, it, as we get older, it doesn't look so good, does it? But in a spiritual sense, looking in the mirror, it tells us what we're like spiritually. And all we see, because of the law, are the things that we have done wrong. We see reflected in that mirror all our badness, all our sin. And we cannot do anything with that. We cannot rub the mirror on our face and make us clean. It doesn't work that way. All the law does is brings condemnation. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel that we are not able to do anything in God's sight. And as a result of that, we are terrified by God's glory. Because all it tells us about is judgment. That he needs to deal with that. We're condemned because we fall short of his glory. But the ministry of condemnation, and we then think about the ministry that brings righteousness, then how much greater is that glory? The ministry that brings righteousness. And then thirdly, he talks about the fact that the ministry uh, of the covenant, the old covenant, is temporary. It doesn't last. It will soon disappear. When Moses came down from the mountain, he covered his face with a veil because he didn't want the people to see that glory fading. He didn't want to see that that glory wasn't going to last forever. And that glory was only temporary. It only lasted for a short time in his face because it was just reflecting God's glory. It wasn't anything permanent within Moses. 
and he covered his face with a veil so they wouldn't see it disappearing. But that temporary glory is what the old covenant is all about. It came from time to time. We think about the tabernacle and the, the holy of holies and how how much ritual they had to go through to be in the even just one person in the presence of God. It was a huge amount of ritual and ceremony that they went through. And one person could go into that place and experience something of God's presence for a short time. But that's temporary. And the Jews are still holding on to that temporary glory. That's what they believe in. That's why he's talking here about the when the Moses law is read today, they're reading it with veiled faces. They're not seeing what's happened. But we have an eternal, a permanent glory that cannot disappear, that is with us forever. And Paul says, having compared these two, the old covenant and the new covenant, and said what's glorious about the old and how much more glorious will the new one be, he then says that we have boldness. We have boldness to enter into God's presence. We don't have to go through all that ceremony, all that ritual to be able to be in the presence of God. We are now in the presence of God because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're there. And we have that boldness to do that. But you know, so many people are not aware of that. They're in blindness they talked, we talked about the Jews still living in that old covenant, living by the law. And many people we know in our families and friends, they are in blindness. Satan has blinded them to the truth. They are blind. And therefore they don't know anything about the boldness that we have to enter into God's very presence and into his glory. And Paul is saying to these readers... There's an issue here. You're, you're, you're trying to hang on to the old covenant whilst also trying to have the new covenant. You want the law, but you also want the benefits of the new covenant. And he needs to deal with that. And he deals with the new covenant is a covenant of grace. We have the covenant of the law, which is a, a set of rules that we cannot match up to. Therefore, it's a covenant which will bring condemnation and death. Well, there's a covenant of grace which we are brought into. There's lots of ways of defining grace, but if we think of, I'm going to use my son again. He's a bad lad, right? He hasn't grown up either. But when he was a little boy, on Red Nose Day, you know how Red Nose Day, people do things to sort of raise money. And the school he went to, his friend said, why don't we get this raw egg and smash it on the teacher's head? Right? That would be a good fun, wouldn't it? And we could raise money. Yeah. Well, if you knew, he's the kind of bloke that would, because he's asked to do it, you'll think, okay, I'll do it. He wants to be a big amongst his mates. So he did that. And of course, I got a phone call from the school saying, what's happened? He's been sent home. And he's not only sent home, I talked to him in my loving way and sent him to his room as a punishment. Now, we understand that. That's called justice, right? He did something wrong, and he was punished by being sent to his room. And I think we all understand justice quite well, because we see it all around us. 
We break the rules and we have to pay the penalty. So we can cope with that. After an hour or so, I went up and said, OK, you can come down now. What am I doing now? I'm showing mercy. Justice was getting what he deserved. Mercy is not getting what he deserved. And I think we can understand that as well. Because I think in society as large, we see justice and we see mercy. We see people getting punishment. We also see people, that happens to us all, doesn't it? People will come to say, listen, I'm sorry if I've offended you. I forgive you. And there's mercy shown and forgiveness shown. And we move on. So we see that in happening in ordinary life, don't we? That mercy is shown between friends, between uh, different people. So he's sitting downstairs now, and about 10 minutes later, the ice cream van appears outside the house. And I go and get him an ice cream. What am I doing now? I'm showing grace. He's getting what he doesn't deserve. Right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now I think, and this is where the Jews, I think, in Paul's time were struggling, I think sometimes we struggle as Christians to accept the grace of God. Something that's been given to us that we do not deserve. We can handle justice, we can handle forgiveness. We know the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and saved us from our sins. But sometimes the grace part goes too far because we don't see it in everyday life very often. Not very often that someone comes along and gives us something which we don't deserve. Might happen, but not very often. So I believe that we need to grasp hold of the grace of God in what he's done for us. God has saved us. The new covenant brings us life. But also it brings us righteousness. We are clothed with a cloak of righteousness, we're told. So when God looks at you and me, he sees us as being right. He sees us as, with all the righteousness of Christ, because he sees us through Christ. Also, we're sanctified, made holy. So we are holy people. God looks at us and says, you're holy, you're sanctified, because he sees us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our standing before God. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that before God, that's what we are. We are saved, we are righteous, we are holy because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. But sometimes we want to hang on to the, the justice and the forgiveness side of it and forget those things that God has done for us. And we're missing out on a tremendous blessing that God has given us by grace. Not deserved, none of it's deserved, but he's given us because he loves us and because his son, the Lord Jesus, died for us and we're now brought into his presence. That's why we can come with boldness, because we are holy. And we can come into his presence because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. It then talks in this verse about us being transformed. But what does that mean? If we're already holy, if we're already righteous, if we're already saved, why do we need to be transformed? Well, it talks here about being transformed day by day. Yes. 
And that is something that takes place in each of our lives. It doesn't take away from the fact of our position before God, but it does affect our natural walk each day. And what is happening is that we are becoming, it talks in the Bible, yeah, be holy. It talks about you are saved, don't work out your salvation. It talks about you're righteous, but do good. So although we are for that position before God, the Bible has encouraged us to do those things that we might become holy, we might become righteous, um, and it's because of our daily walk. So we have to be transformed, but the difference is we're transformed from within. The glory of God is within us and will be revealed through us as we walk with him. So each day we need to be doing what is good. We need to, we need to become holier. And that's not something that is something we should be scared of. We are already in that position before God. God is saying to us, I want you now to live that out in your lives. So when we go through life, life is not straightforward. It's not a, a gradual path. It's up and down. Right? I don't know if you're on an up at the moment or a down. It doesn't matter because what's happening is that every stage of that path, God is working out and transforming us into his image, we're told. He's taking every aspect of your life whether it's good in your eyes or bad in your eyes, in terms of God's view, he's taking that and using it and transforming you into his very image. And we need to grasp hold of that, that by grace, the position we have before God is one of our standing before of holiness, righteousness, and being saved. But each day he is transforming us from within it's like the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's transforming from within so that one day we will, when we meet him, be like him. And that's the practical aspect of living out the grace that God has given us through the new covenant. And Paul is saying, this is a wonderful covenant. This is a covenant of grace. All that you've got, you haven't deserved. You've done nothing to achieve. It's all yours. Why would you go back to the old covenant why would you want to live by regulations and rules when you have freedom now in the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is changing you day by day and transforming you into the image of God we need to just listen to what Paul is saying as well it was written for a very particular purpose at that time but it's also written for us that Let's not hang on to that old covenant way of doing things. Let's grasp hold of the grace, the covenant of grace that is ours and all that we have in the Lord Jesus. There's a hymn, a well-known hymn, Love Divine. The last verse says, First fruits of thy new creation, faithful, holy may we be, joyful in thy great salvation, daily more conformed to thee. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, then to worship and adore thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. Perhaps we could just finish by singing just that one verse, it's number 413 in the Believer's Hymn Book, 413, and we could just sing that last verse together, talking about that transformation that takes place in our lives as we acknowledge the goodness of God in giving us so much and they were standing in his presence, holy, righteous, and saved.
Thine you creation, faithful, holy, may we be joyful in thy great salvation, daily more conformed to in wonder, love, and praise. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we want to thank you again for the Lord Jesus. We've been remembering him this morning. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his love for us. We thank you for all that we've been brought into by grace, all of you and none of us. And we thank you that we're brought into that wonderful relationship with you, Father. That we're able to meet with you just now in your presence and talk to you because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And we just pray that you'd help us in a practical way as we live our lives to um, live in the, the, the joy and the benefit of these things. And we thank you that our lives have been transformed day by day by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the things that happen in our lives which you're using to transform us to make us more like the Lord Jesus. And one day we will see him. And we thank you for that day. So we just want to commit ourselves. Now we want to commit this afternoon to you as well. Just ask again for a blessing on that time and pray that many people will come in to hear your word and your gospel. And we pray all these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.